0: W-L-C-C, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa online at Let's Talk or listen on tune In and odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: Now once Christ had paid for our sins, God was able, didn't have to do it, but he was able and he was free within his own nature to declare us righteous without compromising his justice. Romans 3.24 says this, being justified, what? As a gift.
0: Yes, that's what God does for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. He declares the believer to be righteous. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is currently in a series of lessons on the key words of the Christian faith. Today's lesson subject is the word justification. It's the answer to the question that Job asked in one of the oldest books of the Bible. How can a man be in the right before God? The problem goes quite deep since God is both perfectly righteous and perfectly just. He can't just sweep our sins under the rug and ignore them. Sin must be dealt with, and he did this by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. So, this word is at the heart of the gospel message. Listen with us as Pastor Steve opens for us the rich meaning of this word, justification.
1: Job. Many, many questions, some asked by his friends, so called friends, some asked by Job. But of all of these questions, there's one that stands out that is perhaps the most significant and important question that the Bible asks. For certain, it's the most important question found in the book of Job. And it's found in, you don't need to turn there, but Job 9, verse 2. And the King James Version puts it like this. How shall a man be just with God? The New American Standard Bible translates it this way. How can a man be in the right before God? And that is the most important question that that, uh, certainly the book of Job asks. And really, I think the most important question that anyone could ask. How can a man be justified before God? How can a man be right before God? And the answer to this question is clearly spelled out in the New Testament by the meaning of the word justification. The answer is is justification. That's how a man or a woman can be right with God. Let's begin by having a study on justification. First of all, we want to look at its meaning. What does it mean? Now, the New Testament mentions this big word, justification, a number of times in connection with salvation, and it's especially found in the book of Romans. So let's turn to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to be primarily in Romans tonight, but Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 24. And I'm just going to read to you a few passages that deal with the word justification. Romans 3, verse 24. Paul writes, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. You find this word justification in the heart of Romans, and it's found so often in Romans, and there's a good reason for that. The book of Romans is designed by God To explain salvation, it is the letter that explains the gospel. And justification is a key element in understanding the gospel and understanding the plan of God's salvation. Now, let me give you a definition for justification. This is a basic definition. Justification is the gracious act of God in declaring the sinner who believes in Jesus Christ righteous. It is the act of God whereby he declares a sinner righteous. It is God's act. I remember when I studied the book of Romans at Moody Bible Institute, I have never forgotten that definition. I think I could give it backwards. I think I could give it in my sleep because our teacher just drummed it into us. And what he wanted us to come away from his study understanding is that it is an act. It is not a process. It is an act, not a process. You are either justified tonight or you are not justified tonight. You are not in the process of being justified It is the act of God whereby he has either declared you righteous in his sight and legally righteous, or else you are not righteous. So it is not something that you become in a sense. It is actually his action. He declares it. Charles Spurgeon, that great British preacher of a century ago, said this concerning justification. He said, the term justification is forensic, that is, it's, it's legal. It is forensic, referring to the proceedings in a court of law, and signifies the declaring of a person righteous according to the law. It is not the making of a person righteous by the infusion of holy habits or by an inherent change from sin to holiness. This is sanctification. But the act of a judge pronouncing the party acquitted from all judicial charges. We are growing, hopefully, if we know the Lord, we are growing in righteousness, in our righteous behavior, in godliness, though we don't see it, because whenever we grow, we don't think we are growing. The closer we get to Christ, the more s- sinful we see ourselves. But justification is not that. Justification is the act of God whereby he declares you righteous. It is not you behaving in a righteous way. It is the act of God whereby he declares you righteous regardless of whether your behavior matches what he legally says about you. Hopefully our behavior will be somewhat connected with that. You see, you and I still sin, and we, we need God's forgiveness. We need the ongoing forgiveness of God as a father would forgive a child. We need that to restore our fellowship. But nothing changes our justification. That is without any change. It is binding, it is legal, and it is permanent. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, justification is just as if I had never sinned. Let me say that that's right, but I don't think it takes it far enough, and I'll tell you why. And that's a good way to remember it, but let me just clarify this. Adam, before Adam ever sinned, he, uh, he was created by God, he had never sinned, but he was not justified. He was what theologians call innocent. He was in a state of innocence, but that is not justification. Justification is that God calls the sinner righteous. Adam was in a state of innocence. You and I are not in a state of innocence. If you know Christ, you have been declared righteous. The greatest illustration I I have ever read about justification I read this week, and let me let me share it with you. There was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce on a boat and went across the uh, to the to continental Europe for a vacation. But while he was driving around Europe, something went wrong with his motor, and he cabled the Rolls-Royce people, and he told them. And uh, he asked them what he should do, and so they flew a mechanic over to Europe from England, and uh, he fixed the car, and then he flew back to England. Now, this man in Europe is thinking, what do I owe these people? Boy, that is expensive. So when he got back to England, he wrote the the Rolls-Royce people, and he wrote them a letter, and he asked how much he owed them. And he received this letter from them. Dear sir, there is no record, record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls-Royce. That's justification. <laughs> Not of a Rolls-Royce, but of us. That's an illustration of justification. You sin, Satan accuses you, and he charges you. And, and uh, he says to the father, he says, Look at that rotten sinner. Look at Krelov, Look what he's doing. And and uh, what are you going to do about it, God? And then we t- we also accuse ourselves. We look at our sin, we get disgusted, we get annoyed, we accuse ourselves. But God checks the file. And he says, you know, there's no record in this file that my child ever did anything wrong. In fact, it says in his file, declared righteous. There's no record that anything ever went wrong with the Rolls-Royce. There's no record that anything ever went wrong with a child of God. That's justification. We are declared righteous. Now, that's the meaning of justification. But what is the method of justification? Because this is very important. This is very important. In fact, this is the heart of the gospel. How can God, who is holy, declare sinners righteous and still be just and holy himself? I think that's really what Job 9.2 was saying. How can a holy God... How can a holy God have man be just in his sight? How can a man be just in God's sight when he's so holy? That's a, that's a critical issue. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 answers that. Romans 3, verse 24, Paul writes, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in the Christ Jesus. It is through redemption. It is through the death of Christ. The reason God is free to declare us righteous, and and he's so gracious about this, he certainly owes us nothing. It is the gracious act of God. The reason God is free to declare us righteous is because Christ paid the price of our unrighteousness. We're unrighteous. In other words, God's justice demands payment for sin. Jesus Christ met that payment. The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Jesus died for our sins, and it was not just a physical death that was involved. It was if he was eternally separated from God, because he is the eternal God-man. And God's holiness, the Father's holiness, had to be satisfied. God couldn't let us off the hook just because he wanted to, God's, God's um, qualities and, and God's attributes never compromise with each other. They always work together. And his holiness had to be satisfied. And in the death of Christ, his holiness was satisfied. That's the big word, propitiation. Propitiation. The judgment that you and I deserved fell upon Jesus Christ. That's what the cross is all about. That's what we celebrate. Isaiah 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. God's justice and holiness was completely satisfied. That's why Romans chapter 3, verse 26 says this, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because God still maintains His righteousness through the death of Christ, sin has been paid for, He's just. And because He declares us righteous, because He's so gracious, He is the justifier. So He is just, and He is the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Now once Christ had paid for our sins, God was able, didn't have to do it, but he was able and he was free within his own nature to declare us righteous without compromising his justice. Romans 3.24 says this, being justified, what? As a gift, as a gift. I'd like you to, to turn, stay in Romans 3, but will you turn back to John chapter 15? Let me just give you a A little lesson that brings out what kind of a gift this is, how wonderful this is. John chapter 15 is explaining to his disciples that he's going to be uh, gone from them. He's going to be crucified. Things aren't going to be the same without him. It's the upper room and farewell discourse. And he says that you can expect persecution. And then he says in verse 25, but they have done this meaning they've hated me in order that they may be that that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law this is what the old testament said they hated me and in my version it says without a cause that expression without a cause is the exact greek word that paul uses in romans chapter 3 as he translates it that justification is a gift in other words it is without a cause there was no reason there's nothing in Jesus that He deserved to be hated. There's nothing in Him that deserves to be hated. There is nothing in us that deserves justification. That, isn't that great? That it's, it's purely a gift. That's why uh, my version translates it as a gift. It means w- without a cause. There's, in other words, there's nothing in us that makes God wa- that, that makes God want to justify us. He does it because He's gracious. He is free to justify us, but that doesn't mean that he has to. He has done it because he is a gracious, kind, benevolent, loving God. He does it for the ungodly. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies who? The ungodly. The ungodly. We are the ungodly. And that's what makes justification so marvelous. In fact, if we were not the ungodly, we wouldn't need justification If you're godly, you don't need to be declared righteous. It's only unrighteous people who need to be declared righteous, and that's why you must know that you're a sinner before coming to Christ. You'd never come to Him if you think that you didn't need righteousness in a legal sense, if you thought that you had it on your own. Romans 3.28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's by faith. It's to the ungodly. God does it. That's the method of justification, is through the death of Jesus Christ we are declared righteous. God God was bound by his own holiness that, that even if he wanted to, he could not declare us righteous apart from the death of Christ. That's where the holiness of God and the love of God come together. Now the third point that I want us to see, not only the meaning of justification, it is God declaring us righteous, the act of God and the method of justification is through the death of Christ what are the results of justification i believe that that in romans chapter 5 the apostle paul is trying to say to in fact not trying to he is saying to the romans that uh, this is all through faith and it will stick because they many of them came from a jewish background and they had to wonder if salvation is not by works and it's by by faith alone uh, will this thing be eternal will it stick am i secure in this what if i lose it And Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, you won't lose it. Justification is the great doctrine of the certainty of our salvation. Because you and I are justified, there are certain things that take place in our lives. Because those things take place in our lives, we know that salvation is certain. Let me explain. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been what? Justified by faith. And that's the emphasis, since you are justified by faith, not by works. Know this we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that before you trusted Christ, you were at war with the Lord? Scripture says, Romans 8, 7, that the flesh, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. You were born into this world as a child of wrath. You were at war with the Lord. He was at war with you. You didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. I just thought I had problems. I didn't know how big a problem I had. God's wrath was directed at me, it was directed at you. But the Scripture says that when you come to Christ, the war is over, and you now have peace with God. misunderstand. This is not the peace of God. The peace of God in Philippians chapter 4 is that uh, subjective sense of of well-being when you obey the Lord and cast your cares on Him and you're thinking on the right things and you're not worrying. But that's not this. This is the peace with God. Every believer has peace with God. You may not have the peace of God unless you fulfill Philippians chapter 4 and not worrying and so forth. But, the, but peace with God is every believer's possession. God's wrath is no longer directed at you. You can go home tonight, you can go to sleep and know that the war is over. You're not at war with God, He's not at war with you. The war was taken care of at the cross. Secondly, he says in verse 2, through whom, and he's just going to list some of the results of justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access to God. No Jew had access to God. Only the, the high priest had access once a year into the Holy of Holies. No Jew had access to God. But now we can talk to him, we can fellowship with him, we can enter into his presence, and uh, it, it it is through this we've obtained, he says, our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. We are not just saved by grace. We stand and we walk in grace. There are a lot of people who think that they're saved by grace, but they want to live by law and they want to live by all kinds of rules that they impose upon themselves, Uh, we ought to obey the Bible, but we stand in grace. We give by grace. We walk by grace. We live by grace. So we have access to God. We talk to Him. We fellowship with Him. We are firm in our grace. We will never be moved from grace to law. He says at the end of verse 2, another result of being justified is, and we exult, which means basically we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's the prospect of glory. It's a guarantee of glory. We rejoice in the fact that someday we will be glorified. Remember, we looked at Romans chapter 8, says, whom he justified, he what? He glorified. As far as God is concerned, it's as good as if it, if it happened. It hasn't happened yet, but remember, God is out of time. It can't help but happen, because God, God said so. We know that someday we will be like Christ. John said that anyone who when we see him we will be like him that's what it means what he means about glorified we will be in a glorified state like the Lord Jesus And you say well how, you know sometimes I doubt sometimes I wonder if I'm really a Christian how do, how do I know well one way you can know is found in verses 3 and 4 I would encourage you to read first John to see the evidence if the evidence is there in your life but one evidence is given in verse 3 and 4 verses 3 and 4 and not only this, but we also exalt or we rejoice in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. What he means by this is he's just said that we have the prospect of glory. We know we're going to be in heaven someday. But someone might think, well, how do I know I'm, I'm, I'm really a believer? Well, he says, when the storms of life hit, which he calls tribulation, a true believer turns to the Lord. A true believer doesn't walk away from the Lord. A true believer turns to the Lord and our character is developed through this. The trials and tests in a believer's life deepen his walk with Christ. Oh, he has struggles along the way and uh, he may feel like he's hit rock bottom, but he doesn't abandon his faith. He doesn't say, who needs this Christianity bit? I'm out of here. No, uh, he may struggle, but basically his character is developed, and that proves that we're genuine Christians because when a non-Christian or a a false professor of faith in Christ, someone who claims to know Christ, uh, when the trials of life hit them, that doesn't develop their character. That really turns them off. Michelle told me recently that she heard someone uh, say, I don't know if it was on the radio or something she read, someone said, I guess they went to college, and they said, uh, things happen there, and I've, I've lost my faith. And this person said, no, you've lost your parents' faith. You Don't lose your faith. If you lose your faith, you've never had it to begin with. You've lost someone else's faith. It was never your faith. True, genuine faith is a gift of God, and you will never abandon the lord so our attitude in trials proves that we've been justified you can know for certain that you're a believer if you've if you've lived any amount of time with the lord you've had difficulties what's your attitude in those difficulties have they deepened you or have they turned you off towards christ and christianity so that's that's his point and the reason we rejoice in tribulation is not because we are gluttons for punishments It's not because we're masochists and we say, oh, I love this pain. No one in his right mind rejoices because they love tribulation for tribulation's sake. No, we rejoice because uh, it means that that we mature in the Lord and it approves to ourselves. It continually assures us that we are believers. And then finally, the the last uh, mark or result of justification is found in verse 5. And hope, he says, and remember the hope of glory, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the presence of God's Spirit. This hope of being in heaven someday will never be, will never be disappointed. In other words, uh, when you and I die or if we are raptured, we will receive someday God's promise of glory. We will not be disappointed. We will not die and say, it never happened. Boy, I, I, I believed it. The Bible said it and yet it never happened. And the reason we know it will happen is because God loves us. He's given us His Holy Spirit who has poured out God's love in our hearts. And this is not just the love that flows through us to other people. This is, this is God's sense of assurance in our hearts. This is that subjective sense that we have that God loves us. I know God loves me because the Bible tells me this, but I also know God loves me because I sense in my heart subjectively true but I sense in my heart that he's given me the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives me that assurance that God loves me God does that for you I remember shortly after accepting Christ I didn't know a whole lot of theology but I knew that I belonged to the Lord I knew that he was my father I knew that I was in a new relationship I knew that he cared about me That's subjective. You read that in the Word, but the Holy Spirit also gives you that sense in your own heart that you are a special object of His love. And Paul's point is this. This means that He will not disappoint us. We are His special objects of love. We are His specially justified ones. And He will take us to heaven someday. He'll not disappoint His his own elect. Now, justification is the great doctrine of election. If God declares you righteous, who dares to say that you're not righteous? Don't you do it, and don't let Satan do that. Now, we can remember Christ's death with confidence and assurance because it was on the cross that he paid for your sin and he paid for my sin. And it's because of that the Father looks down and says, on the basis of your faith in Christ, he says, you know, you don't deserve it. You're still a sinner, but I legally declare you a sinner righteous. That's what justification is all about.
0: That's a wonderful thought for believers in Jesus Christ. God gives us what we don't deserve, declared righteous before God. You've heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series that during the next few weeks will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. In the next lesson, we'll look at the word justification. Verse by Verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. You can hear today's lesson again or explore many other subjects on file at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot o-r-g. They're available for free download. And if God leads you to support the ministry of verse by verse, click on the box, support us to find out how you can keep this program on the air. In the next lesson, we'll look at another key word, salvation. Christians talk about being saved, but we often don't have a clear idea of what that means. Are believers saved from something or saved for something? Pastor Steve Kreloff will open the full meaning of the key.